1: Alrighty, guys. Welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. This is something we've been teasing for weeks without having an announcement about an announcement. But the announcement was made over the course of five different announcements that are all linked from one main announcement. For all of the details, for it's finally happening—the return of the Pro Tour, the return of competitive play, the return of organized play. Uh, there's a literal pyramid scheme involved, there's seven different ways to qualify, there's 12 different ways to get points. I'm making all of these numbers up because it seems like Wizards of the Coast did too. So anyways, let's get started with how this impacts vendors. So uh, at the top, as a vendor,
0: I don't care that the image they chose to display how to get to Worlds is a literal pyramid scheme, which was the first thing I did notice about this. Uh, it's that right now there's a very clear way to get to worlds and PTs exist on the side which is great cool yeah. we know there are going to be seasons uh, right now we're looking at Pioneer and Modern as the primary uh, formats for the uh, what are they called the legacy formats yes like not, yeah the non formats that's it yeah, yeah. I, I was just spacing. I was like vintage Uh, No, these are all words that are bygone. 1.x. But what I do care about is the seasonality and the fact that we now have organized play with a purpose. Up until this, we just kind of been floating by. And so as a vendor without an LGS, I just didn't really care what was going on too much. I did care, but I did not care like I did prior to lockdown. But I am very excited now as a vendor as an lgs owner i think i might be actually more excited about this because with all of this coming back that means me we, we might actually begin to see paper pre-releases again which are bread and butter events yep. and we know that wpn stores premium and not can run these regional qualifiers regional champs qualifiers which are down at the bottom of this pyramid you can host one if you're non-premium two if you are premium so again as an lgs i think that's more important for me as a vendor but as a large vendor i don't care about that i'm looking at regionals and i'm looking at uh, anything else going on in regions. so for the united states that's dreamhack and then I care about Pro Tours, because as a vendor, I do get the opportunity to vent Pro Tours if they are
1: local. Yeah. I I think that's one of the interesting things, and especially, and so, as a vendor, what a lot of people were curious about is why DreamHack, who are they? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, literally, like, the best esports event providers in the world? Yep, that
0: was... I... It wasn't tone-deaf. It just goes to show how little crossover there is or how old and white a lot of this mindset is to not know <laughs> what DreamHack yeah. is. And yeah. uh, Cedric Phillips put out a, a great podcast this week where he interviews like the DreamHack organizer and somebody else within the org. And if you want to learn more about what DreamHack is and what they do for esports and the kind of events they put on, go check that out. As... Uh, like an exhibition style event that does allow vendors. They have allowed trading card vendors or like collectible vendors on-prem before. Tables yep. seem to be fairly cheap for what we've heard. But now with this change, we might expect that to increase both in terms of table fee and appearance of collectible vendors at DreamHack. Or they might just clamp down and say, okay, we're only going to allow named vendors that we know. You know, Star yep. City... I don't know if Channel's going to be doing any events physically. Good Games, yeah. I guess now it would be. Yeah, yeah
1: like the known Toa. quantities, Car Kingdom, Toa, you yeah. can come out, that kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, and it's, it, I'm really curious to see that because DreamHack, there's obviously the opportunity for it. Yes. Now, one of the interesting things is how some of the other organizers have handled things. So my understanding is Good Games has chosen a location for their regional qualifier. Uh, That is a community center where they are still charging people entry for an event. They've qualified for Uh, Which is fascinating because they're not allowing vendors So this kind Mm. of creates to me this weird ecosystem where it almost favors. Well It's better to be a vendor in this area because I have the opportunity to vend these large events I have the opportunity to arbitrage very easily and I think that you may see at these larger events like your dream hacks like the champions cup that big magic is putting on like these places that are known face to face is another prime example uh-huh. i could see them opening things up to other vendors and saying look come on vend. it'll be sweet we we don't care it worked for channel for years we yeah. have free tables there for ourselves you can come on and arbitrage whatever you want to do we don't care and i think that's the thing that has me most excited as a vendor is we're getting these big events where there are select opportunities for arbitrage. It feels similar to old events now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, your star cities are great, but by and large, it's the same five vendors, same six, seven, eight, nine, whatever it is. You know, It's not like a GP, you have 15 vendors there and only seven of them are the same from one event to another. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like we might be getting back to that. And especially having events at a place like DreamHack. As a vendor, I'm excited for that because I get so much more advertising. Mm -hmm. I get so much more marketing. I get so much more exposure. Yeah. And now there becomes almost this opportunity to pivot into another vertical because, oh wait, we're at DreamHack? Uh, I mean, I guess I can just bring a ton of like League of Legends pops or something, right? Exactly, yeah. The other thing is about
0: DreamHack, and I know this is uh, not quite... Who's doing Europe?
1: Uh, Europe is... Legacy. Yeah, Legacy.
0: DreamHack is a destination uh, location. It's a destination event. It's in Atlanta, which also hosts DragonCon. And those two events aren't really... Congruous in the sense that the same people that are going to come out for one are going to come out for the other, but that does give the opportunity for large, uh, more opportunity for larger collections to come to you when you vend this location. The issue with legacy in Europe, as Kaibude pointed out, is just it seems a little disparate because of population centers. So it yeah. looks to be out of the way from a number of countries in Europe, but that's just like a logistical nightmare as far as I've heard in regards to yeah. setting up any kind of GP in Europe. So I kind of take that one at a wash i imagine when it comes to good games in australia you mentioned the community center etc but that'll probably be de- be done in a tourist destination location i would assume yeah, uh it's
1: outside of brisbane okay so ish go. yeah yeah but uh, there's not space for vendors or anything i think one of the unique things not from a vendor perspective about this is that wizards was like straight up hey we're providing the prize money no like question about it Here's transparency. You don't have to worry about cost to these vendors, whatever. I think that was really cool. And I think also on the topic of these tourist destinations and like having them in good population centers, all of a sudden that incentivizes them to make things more approachable Mm -hmm. for not just other vendors but for your attendees.
0: Yeah. Yep. So as a vendor or an LGS that actually looks to buy and sell cards, I think one of the the big things I'm getting ready to do is actually start to ratchet up my buy list. I know what seasons we're going to have and when, and we just had Pioneer Challenge decks drop not too long ago, so I'm going to get ready for that surge of Pioneer. I'm going to try and order more of these decks from Distro if I can, because the Azor Spirits one is a great starter deck, on the whole the lotus veil deck is only a couple hundred yep. away like 200 ish i think from being like the top tier deck maybe even less Goldspan dragon is in the red deck which is currently being anchored by good game uh sorry uh the gaming co yeah down. i want to say to like 22 so there's a lot of opportunity here for me as a vendor to get on pioneer before everything just races away from me if i'm low in stock on certain things and then begin preparing for the additional seasons like Modern. Yeah. The one thing that I can't do as a vendor, and I don't know how many actually did this, is kind of ride the wave of seasons across the world by way of something like GPs. Yeah. Without GPs, mm-hmm. it's difficult to go uh, east to west across the globe, which is usually how they they moved. So everybody's going to be in the same season, which is great, but it means it's very difficult for me to arbitrage Modern and Legacy staples to uh, the APAC region if I have no event to go to as a bender. I just have to either show up myself and out to other stores in the area or see if I could get into one of the the regional events because they won't all fire on the same weekend. They're going to be separated out, but that doesn't mean it'll be easy. It's just like... A niche avenue that's kind of lost to me right now and if that was part of my business model or something that I was hoping to be able to do then I might have to try and look to figure out how to
1: do that and I think that touches on you know something very interesting too is like as you're curating your buy list if you are riding that wave of like Mm -hmm. regional to regional whatever all of a sudden is it a destination plays a huge factor in that yeah because if I'm going to dreamhack for example my buy list is probably going to be drastically different than if i'm just going to a qualifier in like europe or something Mm -hmm. literally because of the exposure of the event yeah like all of a sudden i'm at dreamhack an event that annually attracts like 15 to 20,000 people just for Mm esports and now all of a sudden i've got this like almost gp like event i mean you, you look at the dreamhack you know, event page, and they talk about all right. Well, here's the qualifiers. We're also going to have these commander things. Here's our artist alley. Here's our fire at will events. Here's our command zone. Well, 20k I mean, open, Two ten 10 Before
0: you even like, look at the Magic section, I think you can just tour the other games and you see it's like yeah. a Rocket League Worlds, Counter, CS:GO champs. They've had yep. Smite worlds before. Like the they are the epitome to these competitive games. To what uh, you know worlds in the pro tour are to magic yeah it it is the Mm. the easiest parallel to make but to help give people another idea of like what this means logistically for a vendor just kind of think of it like in the old school way of you have regionals which didn't even cover an entire seaboard so for me up in new england we basically were mass to maine moving northeast there was a mid-atlantic and a south atlantic and then nationals were all the like top eight finishers want to go compete and then you could grind into nets. You can do that at regionals. They are allowing you to grind in at these regional events. But that's the difference is like, do I want to go to an event that might have like, 500 people at it and a dearth of vendors from the local area that would be like your regional qualifiers or do I just want to hold out for the big event DreamHack or maybe do both but that's kind of the the equivalent you're looking at and you would have some of those like localized regional vendors show up at nationals because there were things like gaming etc and cool stuff at the time who were just heads and tails better and bigger than the competition so yeah they were the premier vendor to that local region for regionals and then also went to Nets because they could afford to do so. But the
1: difference in the the population of these events was ridiculous. Yeah. And I think that's something that's worth noting for seeing how this pans out is, you know, there's obviously, as with every event, some events are more desirable to vend than others. The thing is here, your floor on undesirable events and your ceiling on desirable, desirable events is significantly more disparate yeah. than it has been in the past. You know, it used to be well. It's indie; it'll be an indie event. It's good or bad, but it's usually in the same range. Mm-hmm. Now it can literally be like, well, you know, if I'm a global vendor and I travel to these things and I have the opportunity to vend at, you know, Legacy or Good Games or Cadu or Oracle, wherever, some of them all of a sudden are like, well, I mean, I'll probably be fine, but I'm going to be insane at this event, yeah, and it's yeah. almost like, all right. Does this now kind of contribute to the death of that global vendor that's at every single international event and domestic? It doesn't matter. Or will we see a return to that? And that's something that obviously there's still a lot of travel loopholes and everything to get around with regional regulations around COVID and everything, but it'll be very interesting to see to me.
0: Yeah. The other thing that's interesting that doesn't get talked about, unless you're a vendor and then you make fun of some other people, is there's a maximum amount of cash that one person can carry and yep. customs gets really frisky when they recognize that two people have close to ten thousand dollars and they might work for the same company so they'll yep. sum that number up and then one or both <coughs> of you gets bounced yeah and they have to take the overage so there, there's also that little bit of logistics which is kind of fun and wonky to to figure out but i really think it is like the the gps are the missing step right now and yeah. i since they've canned the parlance for magic fests and mythic championships it's just back to gps for me that that's what they were before we accepted the new terminology when they wanted to make it a convention but if they're giving us back the pro tour worlds and regionals then gps all the way yeah and i think like as a vendor that's what i'm really hoping for i'm hoping for that like maybe twice a month kind of event that i could hit The last thing I really think about as a vendor is what does this mean for me in in regards to my sealed versus singles ratio? Like last week, the week before, two weeks ago, we talked about pack cracking, right? And we talked about how a vendor isn't just going to crack everything. They're going to crack something and leave money on the table, quote unquote, during pre-release season to sell sealed because that puts you in the black pretty easily. Yep. Now with the return to paper and uh, before the cast, you mentioned the current season is going to feature uh, both Innistrad sets, Neon Dynasty and New Capenna. Yeah. That's like the season we're in as far as standard sets are concerned. Yep. What does my allocation look like going back to Innistrad, Neo, and then New Capenna? Do I need to start trying to order more if I'm not already ordering my maximum? And now what am I... S- what of my splits look like am i actually popping more sealed for singles than i was you know in the last two and a half years when we didn't have op like this
1: yeah and especially you know does this change my hold plans you know like obviously you, you want to hold cards as long as it takes to make the money but there mm-hmm. is always that well i'm going to reserve an amount of stock
0: yeah exactly that you're speaking of the fact that you know most vendors only release like four to eight of something at a time, yeah. And they'll reload maybe the next day and then reload, and that helps them really set pre uh, pre sell goals, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, all right, well now if it's we're back on this event schedule, well, do I now go a little bit longer with it? Maybe. Do do I hold a lower quantity or do I? reload faster or is mm. it all right well if i have a hundred copies of windswept heath do i maybe not sell 30 of them and save that for bootstock because is it pioneer season is it modern season whatever yep, because yeah. we've just been in full-on edh mode for a while now and now we actually have this seasonal paper event that pays big money So now is there a shift for some vendors, and I think there will be, Mm -hmm. where they basically say, all right, well, we were all aboard the EDH choo-choo, which we're still kind of on the EDH train, but we're going to be a little bit more flexible on what we're bringing. Maybe we'll cut out about 10 to 20% of our EDH stock and make that now the event stock. Okay. Uh, and that's that's something that I you know the general consensus from the brief days that we've had this announcement out that's kind of been the thing so yeah,
0: people need to pick up the cards that they haven't been able to or haven't wanted to especially when it comes to like yeah. the Innistrad set right like, yep. we know there's a run on Pioneer because that's the first pro tour of 2023 despite the fact we're like nine months away go take a look at the Azor pathway it's like 20 bucks everything else oh, is yeah. sub 10 like yeah. Winota disappeared Phoenix was next like Pioneer is just gone from from the internet, right? So that speaks yep. to my point earlier about ratcheting up my buy list, right? I know Pioneer is going to be a thing. I know based on what I'm selling, what is and isn't moving, and I know what I need to target from that. And I think there there might be now a look to attempt to roll in Star City events where possible. There yeah. are no outside invites into the Watsi ecosystem; those have been removed. So the Star City circuit. Is now just 5, 10, and 20k events. That's it. There's nothing that it rolls up to just yet. I think they have, uh, they might do command fests if those things come back, those like regional specific two on a weekend events where people just gather and play commander. Like there was one in Baltimore or, or Roanoke and another one in Chicago one weekend. I really don't know what went on. I think we were at a GP. Yeah. That might have been like Minnesota or something weekend or Detroit. But that's basically all Star City's going to get. So as a vendor, if I want to go out and I want to start hoovering up cards that way, not just use my buy list, do I reintegrate Star City into my ecosystem of events? Do I look at TCGCon, if they're local to me, to try and supplement
1: this? Yeah. And I I think that that now all of a sudden having that as a supplemental outlet rather than your primary... I think is actually kind of huge and I think that, you know, talking about the GPs being the missing step I think the undertone for this announcement as a vendor
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, was, hey, you know this is what we're starting with Yeah. we may have some more we'll see how it goes yep and that I'm actually excited for as a vendor
0: yeah, because right now the focus is on worlds and yeah It feels like in the era of Magic where we had regionals and nationals and worlds, the focus was never truly on worlds. It felt like it was always on the Pro Tours. And they didn't quite overshadow worlds, but it never received the pomp and circumstance it was meant to. So if you're going to rejuvenate your OP system, especially with somebody as in the thick of it as Huey Jensen is, then it makes sense for them to really focus on regionals or whatever locality into regionals into worlds by the way we're going to do pro tours and then figure out what they want to do as supplemental events so yeah yeah to that point I'm excited to see what the iteration looks like as long as it is either adding supplemental event structure to get people more people into the pro tour because again worlds is a very small ecosystem it's like uh, at some point in time the field narrows to like 40 something invites 42 invites So it is a very quick bottleneck, and you cut a lot of people out of OP. So I'm hoping it is some kind of event system to get people into Pro Tours while maintaining the pomp and circumstance around Worlds. So I'm hoping that this is really just the the bedrock for this is what Worlds is going to look like. We're going to blow it out of the water the first time, and we'll just be iterating on Worlds to make it way better than any of the Pro Tours. Oh, and by the way, here are more ways for you to get to the Pro Tour. Yeah that that's what I would be hoping for because as a vendor that allows me to go out and continue vending it allows me to to do what I want to do which isn't just operate a website I want to be out there I want to be to the point you made earlier marketing while I'm there because not a lot of people might know you if you're either just online or only a local yeah and it gives you that kind of great opportunity
1: it really does and i think that one of as a as a vendor one of the most underrated things is, about these events is literally being able to put a face to the tcg player name yeah. i there there have literally been times where like i've been at a booth or i've gone up to a booth or something I'm like oh this i buy from you guys all the time or they buy from us all the time and all of a sudden it's like all right well cool yeah. uh now that i've met you and it was a positive experience I'm going to search you out first.
0: I would have never known who Mom's Basement Cards was until I
1: saw them at a yeah. GP. It's like two people. Yep. No idea. And then all of a sudden you meet them and you're like, oh well, this was actually a really good experience. Yeah. This was cool. Awesome. I'm in, guys. Exactly. I'll, I'll try to buy from you from now on. Yeah.
0: Or yeah. Exactly. Like if I if you if I, if I see you in the list, I'll I'll hit you up instead of just some rando somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. It, it definitely. Exactly. Definitely, definitely, definitely helps you know, with something like that. But as far as from from my side of things, like as just purely as a vendor, non LGS, like I'm sure there's more I'm not thinking of right now. But I'm just kind of reveling in what I have in front of me. There's a lot yeah. of minutia. There are a lot of details to go over. I've listened to a bunch of podcasts about what people think and pe- from people players who have really dissected it. None of it really seems to impact me right now. Yeah, as a vendor. But if there's anything else from the from the LGS side of things that kind of stands out, if you got anything on that?
1: No, not re not really. I mean it's it's the same thing like all of a sudden we have these events we can do which were kind of like, you know, your regional qualifiers yeah. where people would travel to it and I have a chance to sell a little bit more that maybe isn't relevant to my local market.
0: Yeah. Which great sign me up yeah i am i don't think there's a player cap on the rcqs but i imagine the first one's going to be hell on wheels because you don't know how big a space to get so that means possibly an attendance cap or you get someplace that's too big and it's going to be weird at the end of the day when you're like we had to pay a lot more than we made and that was kind of a boop but again all iteration and you don't know what to expect coming up into that first one so oh there's only yeah Nothing else unique from the LGS side, I'm ready to run straight through to picks.
1: Let's do it. Alright,
0: so I'm going first this week, and my pick is a buy a box promo. And as far as I can tell, only a buy a box promo. And it is King Ken. Yep it is Kenrith the Return King from yep. Throne of Eldrain, Biobox promo. Now, I didn't pick this because it's saw a constructed play, although that is definitely something that weighs on the pick, but not in the face of a pioneer rush. That just kind of helps overall. Uh, Kenrith, the Returned King, is a hardy five-color general that allows the player to do a lot, and that is really why I picked Kenrith, the, R- the Returned King, a card I've been watching for five months. It does look rather flat up until recently, right around... Midnight Hunt, it takes a jump from about five dollars up to seven, and eventually starts slowly tumbling down to the mid sixes, which I'm perfectly fine with. What is really impressive is the fact that Card Kingdom was buying seventy eight at two fifty, and is now buying forty nine at three twenty, and that forty nine number is pretty steady while the buy uh, number continue to goes up, the buy price goes up. So we're we're holding steady on quantity, but price is increasing, and that's why I picked Kenneth right now. On the open marketplace, we've actually seen an increase in quantity and a decrease in price as people are moving out of the card, either because they're turning away from it as a general, which I think is a mistake, or I believe this was a card you had a very small amount of time to play and constructed in paper before that went away, and so these are just extra copies on the market space. Now, as far as EDH playability is concerned, Really? This is five colors all day. You could shave it down to three yeah. if you want, to whatever. But it's a five color general, so it's really what you're doing. There does seem to be a heavy lean into teamer more than anything else, whereby black and red are for advantage style cards like opposition agent and dockside extortionist. Um but white is like non existent in this. So again, teamer with a little bit of red and then less black on the back end. White is there for like smothering tithe things you would yep. expect out of white because that's just the only cards they have right now and so it's kind of interesting to take a look at wreck for kenrith so you just go down and you see a lot of interesting things but like i said white removal smothering tights and this very heavy lean to teamer yeah so what are we doing with kenrith and it's honestly kind of hard to sniff out because you can do anything with kenrith you can make infinite mana and draw your opponents out because the draw ability says target player you can reanimate (coughs) your opponent's threats there's helix pinnacle shenanigans once you have infinite mana you can even zerta combo once you have infinite mana with a card this wide open that only gets better over time and isn't narrowly focused, it appeals to everyone we need it to or want it to. From casual to competitive, there's room for Kenrith at all power levels and tables. And again, no consensus theme or build, just a blank canvas, and it's a thing of beauty. But that's Kenrith.
1: Uh, I think Kenris life cycle in CEDH is incredibly fascinating because he's still generally regarded as one of the best food chain generals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cody has become the best, like, spell slinger general. But it's a card that, you know, there are times, literally, and this is one of the reasons I like it, where Staff of Domination is legacy viable mm-hmm. because of an infinite mana. This may potentially have, like, the potential to see play in constructed, which is wild to me. But in EDH, this card's great. It does everything you want in five colors. It's awesome. Yep. Love it.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that, which is why I wanted to call out constructed. Like, yes, it did see play in constructed, uh, but it was at the tail end of a standard season. I think. Let me. I. I didn't open the MTG decks link, but I'll pull it real quick because I think it. It basically just kind of plays the same throughout. Uh, Yeah. Winota. Jeskai Super Friends. Yeah, and that's about it. Jeskai Fires. So it it really is just an an advantage engine. You draw extra cards. You give your creatures haste. And then you just dunk on them. Yep. But there's also the gain 5 life mode. Putting plus 1, plus 1 counters on creatures. And reanimating a a creature card yours or or your opponents and it's just again something that's amazing so as far as Kenrith is concerned in regards to timeline with a limited supply overall combined with movement on the buy list mentioned up top with what looks like a healthy demand my expectation is that in the next nine months we'll be able to move any copies we pick up now to buy list and I expect the man to maintain the same velocity until we get into Dominaria and Brothers War, as not only could those sets bring additional five-color elements to the deck, but also great utility spells like we just saw with Farewell and the Channel Lands. Now, it doesn't matter what version of Kenrith you're playing, the Channel Lands all fit in. And if you want to play a slower, more plodding version of the deck, you can essentially just play, you know, more heavy control, and that's where Farewell really comes in. And it's just kind of a banger in, in all regards because of what the spell does. So, while the delta is fairly wide between the open market and buy list, watching the buy list number increase one and a half fold in the last four months is exciting to see and points towards that consistent demand. I'm not worried about stagnation in the grand scheme or another five-color legend stunting growth. My concern would be another company like The Gaming Co., who currently has 872 listed, swinging in and anchoring the price with an absurd quantity. It's... Yeah not the cheapest by any means on TCG Player, the gaming co. They are well below the fold if you're only looking at 10 listings, but the moment you filter for 4 or more they... oh, have they bounced down? They're somewhere in this list unless somebody just literally bought out all of them, which I find ridiculous, but they were selling 800 and some odd copies. Yeah. So if that happens again, that's where I really expect the the price to just get anchored now reprint equity there is a chance that we see this card reprinted in a universes beyond set immediately the lord of the rings sets a set as gandalf the white but provided we dodge that which is towards the end of our expected timeline we're on track to see it move in nine months and that's kind of like really what i would be worried about <clears throat> is that universe is beyond thing because that is just another nail in the coffin it's alt art for a card that was only a buy a box promo yeah that's only one art and it really starts to pull people away from what we're looking at and what we're targeting as far as buy quantity i have the one i got for picking of a box but i'm happy to pick up another seven to round out two play sets doubt yeah. we'll see King into constructed format again, so we are looking at buy lists and trades as our out, and while I do believe in the growth of the card overall, I wouldn't be in too deep on this, as I'd rather go a bit wider on my specs than tall. Yeah. Especially when it comes to something like this.
1: Uh, I think it's super solid. Uh, definitely, probably one of the most underrated generals in terms of like long-term potential, I think, as well. Because it does have that utility to just do anything. Yeah. Super good.
0: You guys are right. different for us.
1: Much Boy, different. Boy, do I. So, I don't know if we've ever done this before. I think we may have. Uh, I am future proof. It's like a future pick, right? Mm-hmm. But, something to be mindful of. Elvish Spirit Guide has been printed once ever in alliances. It sees play in EDH, in CEDH. It sees play in Constructed. It sees play all over the place. It's like a $10 card for an uncommon from alliances that is not on the reserve list. Mm-hmm. Today, we found out there's going to be a secret layer printing. Borderless, brand new art, first time ever. Yep. So why am I picking this card? I don't know. Well, if you take a look at most of the other secret layer cards that have had a single printing prior to their secret layer printing they tank Craterhoof hoof tanked and it had multiple printings before took right off afterwards one of the interesting things about the secret lairs is that throughout their history there have been maybe one or two misses total even the phyrexian praetors obviously the judge promo norn took a giant hit it started to recover afterwards so what i'm saying is a card like elvish spirit guide right now you can probably pick up on the low because people are trying to dump it in trades because they know there's a reprinting coming. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about this card is it is viable as an EDH set. So you can get five and be fine, yeah. because it sees play in Oops All Spells, Sneak and Show, some Elves list. It's all over the place in Eternal Formats. Belcher. Belcher. And then it's just good in EDH too. Mm-hmm. So what I'd be looking at picking up, which... I've already picked some up. Uh, literally today at work, someone had some in their binder, and I was like, "Hey, that's getting reprinted." Lowe's nine. Would you trade them at six? They snapped it off. Great. I get to I get to trade it. Buy list. Sign me up. Anyways, I'd be looking for about ten to fifteen of these. Generally, right now, for between five to six. Mm-hmm. But I think as we get a little bit more close to the release of the secret lair, as we get further through the month, same thing's going to happen that happens with all the others. That price is slowly going to go down. Mm -hmm. When the lair ships, it'll tank. But a month or two later, it's right back up to where it was because it's one of those eternally viable, not like forever viable, but viable in eternal formats. Like staple cards that just works doing degenerate things that isn't a very high print run and if you think that the secret layer print is going to be anywhere near the alliance's print run you, we did an episode on print runs from this era trust me it's not going to be anywhere near it to make a huge difference uh but this is one of those things that I saw I'm like hey this is timely let's do this is not necessarily a market trend but like a hey here's something to be mindful of as a vendor, because this reprint is incoming. Mm -hmm. So you can potentially get this card for less money prior to the reprint, and significantly less money once that reprint ships. Uh, It's kind of like the opposite of what we saw with the Triumphs, when Capenna was like, oh, we're releasing them. Okay, cool. So, again, I wouldn't go super deep on this. Maybe 10 to 15, you know, 2 to 3 EDH sets, uh, and I'd try to get them for sub six if I could. I think timeline wise, so end of the month, secret layers done. Generally takes about two to three months for the secret layers to ship. So we'd be looking at May, June, July. Mm-hmm. Then August, September is when you'll start to see this price recover, which is interesting timing because that's when Eternal Weekend is, that's when Dream Hack is. Yep that's when gen con is there are a ton of events that time of year that bring a lot of eyes to the game that all of a sudden could see you know boost stock on this stuff shoot up in price so just something to be mindful of as we get into that season and it was something that i saw and i'm like this is timely this is a card that has steadily risen for years and even after it's risen and it's like tanked it's never going back to where it was. This card will be $5 forever, at least. I, it, It's just too good not to be. You know, Simeon Spirit Guide is banned in the format where it matters, uh, but it paid for somebody else's sins like so many other cards. Anyways, uh, <laughs> this this card will perpetually be a $5 card because outside of a secret layer, this is not the kind of card that gets a sizable reprint ever. It's just templating, power-wise, everything, not what they like to do.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing that's going to be interesting to see is at some point in time, people are going to have to reconcile if they want foil or non-foil in this card. Yep. And I'd be curious, uh, this is just an abstract kind of thing, uh, uh, how many people would be moving into foil versions of something like this because it's the first time it, it's reprinted in It's been in foil, printed right? in foil, yeah, and exactly. And we know, despite the fact that, like, yeah sure these foils turn into potato chips you can effectively fix that yourself on the cheap yep. if that ends up being a, a deterrent overall so unrelated to the spec in general i was just thinking about this as i was looking to see which one of the bundles it was in but it's like what these yep. first time foil cards are always kind of interesting overall i think it's a wonderful pick anytime we get something like this that just pushes the price down on a staple in eternal formats, it just seems like an easy time to buy in. It, it's especially when it comes in secret layers. If they're not yep. going to put this in a modern set, they like you mentioned they banned Simeon spirit SSG. Guides, yeah. so yeah. Which makes a red, and it's not that <coughs> difficult to turn a red into, I'm sorry, a green into a red in modern. So that means that this is reserved for master sets that don't see playing modern which means something like double masters, but aside from the fact that this is a 2-2, it doesn't play into that, right? Yeah. I don't... It seems too degenerate for formats made to draft, so reprint equity on this seems pretty low. It's difficult to deal with from a rules perspective for the EDH product because that's still meant for yeah. beginner players, so at the end of the day, I think this is a really good choice, not just because it pushes down... The price of an existing staple that we can then scoop up and make hay on in time but also because the reprint equity on it is so low that it seems like aside from supplementals like this we'll never see it again and thus we are effectively insulated from something yeah so what do
1: I didn't even, Anything else?
0: Not really. I didn't even realize this was in one of the drops. I just suck. I was like, "Yeah." If you haven't seen it, the super the secret layer drops is just this one's kind of disparate. Um, just to be yeah. completely, I
1: I actually like the checklands, the Matt Jukes lands. Yeah, the the allied ones that are just like the shapes. I actually like. Yeah. Sumi. Yeah. There's.
0: Uh, it's definitely in the they're art. aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I thought it was in the uh, like. So Concordant Crossroads is in an artist series, I think.
1: Yeah, that's an artist series. Sidhearth's,
0: yeah, with like Nomad Outpost and Ghost Quarter. So like nothing on the artist. Sure. They, they just yeah told the to paint with the paint. That's kind of a shit. But I, I thought it was in just some totally normal guys. Yeah. And I was like, if if it was in this one, this is the slam dunk secret layer. It's still the slam dunk. Yeah. Void Winnower, Collector, Oof, and Vengevine. You can skip Goblin Settler. Price based on rarity. Nobody cares about that card ever. Exactly. Uh, be, I did the research. No. Ain't nobody looking no. at it. But, like, I thought it was in here just based on the art. So I was like, oh, interesting. But no, it's not. Yep. So I don't know which secret layer it's in. I'll figure that one out eventually. But, yeah. Uh, interesting drop. I, I do recommend people take a look at it. We also get yeah, the sure. um, three of the four, four color generals or is it three? Yeah. Three, I can't remember that one. Yeah. Um, this is the, the gilded foil edition from streets of Nuka Pena. I don't think you can get them any other way. It looks like they all no, come in, so. uh, in foil, yeah. but yeah, I think this is the first time i would recommend people actually check out a secret layer. So, but other than that, yeah, I think that's going to be it for me for this week, unless you got something else. Not a- all right. So, uh, for at, MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, and YouTube. I am at Halt, Diam Reptar. You are at
1: Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see
0: you next week.